Steve, can you hear me? I can hear you. Right on. How you doing, man? Good. How are you? Doing well. Cold Brew Calls, the show where I sip on cold brew and talk to strangers from all over. That voice you heard at the beginning, Mr. Steve Passy from Alberta, Canada, the second Canadian I have talked to so far. Shout out to V, my second call, and uh, she's up in British Columbia. Hope that job search is going well, V. Hang in there. Fingers are crossed, eyes crossed, all that stuff for you. Good things are coming your way. I know it. I know it. Um, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I need more coffee or I've had too much. One of the two. How's life? Good? Hanging in there? Dog days of winter upon us? It's almost spring here in Arizona. Might as well be Super Bowl Sunday. It was 78 degrees out in your face. Barbecued. Hung out with some buddies. Watched outside. Thought Shakira and J-Lo killed it at the halftime show. Thought the game was good. I didn't care about either team in it. Uh, So those are usually the most enjoyable because you don't really have anything at stake and you can just kind of enjoy it, watch it, turns into more of like a holiday, right? Um, So it was good to spend time with uh, the the extended fam, the my Arizona family, friends and shit. Wee. Anyway, Steve, Passy, fun conversation. We talk a lot about writing. He's a very talented writer. I stumbled upon him on SecretHistoryBooks.com. It was the first thing I read on that site, and is what made me reach out to Michael LaFontaine, whom I spoke with uh, my third call, I believe, from Australia. Um, but that's where I just <clears throat> got all in, consumed by this grit-lit shit going on. And I really like, there's a really good writing on secrethistorybooks.com. Steve is a very talented writer. His poem is on there. He's got some other stuff. Also, I'm reading his 45 Minutes of Unstoppable Rock, which is a collection of short stories and that's on Amazon, uh, and that came out a couple years ago, I believe, but you can get that, but look out for his new one, Cemetery Blackbirds, via secrethistorybooks.com, and that comes out February 15th, but this conversation, man, it was, he was a blast to talk to, one of them fast-talking Canadians, and had some hilarious sayings, I laugh a lot in this one, I get pretty fired up, too, it was, it kind of just turned into this, like, um, I don't know, I got like a lot of good insight and advice personally because I just start talking about this lull I'm in uh, writing. And so I just start kind of just quizzing him. Um, but So I get good advice and insight, but I think it will be very beneficial to anyone working on shit, trying to be creative, trying to write. I don't know. I had like epiphanies and shit during this. You know what I mean? Like light bulbs were going off all over the place. Yeah, he had a, he was just, he was good. I, I'll let you listen to it. Instead of me just trying to sum it up, because I'm doing awesome at that right now. Yeah, man, Steve, thanks, thanks for taking the time out of your day to talk to me. Uh, hope all is well with you out there. Uh, without further ado, here's fucking Steve, man. Transition. But it was nice. It was a beautiful place, and uh, the people were really friendly too. So I remember that yeah. the, the Canadian reputation held up. Yeah, it is. we're. I'll be honest with you. We're we're like retarded Ottawa kids. We are so happy to have somebody come up and visit us. 
Um, you know, we're, <laughs> we're you know, it just, uh, it, it makes our day, you know, usually I think, for example, you being in Tempe, you've probably run into a lot of Canadians there. They're going the other way. They're, they're Trying generally older than I am. And I'm not young. Yeah. And they're snowbirds, you know, and they're just trying to warm up, play some golf and, uh, and um, complain about the weather just in a different way, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, we're about to get that. You can definitely tell when the snowbirds start coming. You know, it's just if everything feels a little more crowded, then there's a different kind of energy. And so Mm -hmm. that that starts happening right around about now, but like February, March, April is when you start to really notice it, or at least I do. Yeah, that's, you know, that's not unlike, you know, the the last place I visited in the U.S., which was, you know, the Palm Springs, Palm Desert, California area area and man you know if you're down there this time of year you know there's a lot of canadians and uh, i mean there's and older too there's not room to swing a dead cow without knocking over a blue hair like it's um is that a canadian saying right there there. yeah well you know it's funny i heard a guy in manitoba say that and uh and i've only ever heard it there but it uh, you know like you understand if you write you tend to seize on to odd things uh, oh absolutely phrases and i always remembered that phrase you know not room to swing a dead cow and um <laughs> you know in, in the case of palm desert it applied to people quite a bit older than myself and i'm not young um so i should i should be down there with them but like of course like many people who write i've got a daytime gig that pays the bills and mm-hmm. we've been very fortunate been spectacularly busy at the daytime job and uh, it's funny i can't go back to writing there's a lot of writers that complain about their daytime gig and, you know, I wish that they had more time to write or whatever. I, I don't mind telling you I've done both. I don't write any more or any less working a day job. And my day job is a source of endless stories to me. I'd need two straight years off to write down everything I've seen go down, <laughs> you know, here in this little corner of the world. Right. You know, so, mm-hmm. Yeah. So how much uh, do you set aside time to write or, or do you just kind of whenever you're, whenever you feel the energy to do so, you do it? I, whenever I feel the energy to do so, I do write almost every day and oh, some nice. days it'll be, and when I say write, some days it'll be editing and right. uh, or going over stuff and other days, you know, I'll get in three, four or five consecutive hours. Um, I don't think I, I recently, I wrote a novella and I had a week off in October. I had five straight days, which is, I, th- I think I've had seven days off in 19 months at this job. We've been, wow. again, fortunate to be busy. But And I wrote a 21,000-word novella in five days. But that is would be unusually high word count for me. Everybody does it different. Um, I tend to get in anywhere from 300 to 1,000 in a session, mm-hmm. probably more more closer to 300. And again, I have a novel in progress, but I'm a primarily a short story guy. And, um, yeah. And, uh, you know, so that, so that's how I do it. You know, I'm, um, it's never quiet. I know some, some writers who, I knew a woman once who said not only did she, she had headphones in like earbuds, but with no music playing. And then she had noise canceling headphones over those. And that's how she wrote. (laughs) Um, I can write through a fair amount of, of noise. My kids are getting a bit older now. My girlfriend and I, between the Two of us, our kids are now the, between the ages of 24 and our youngest just turned 20. Okay. But, um, for example, the time I wrote Tiger Lily, which is actually, I wrote that, you know, 10 years ago now. Oh, wow. But anyways, I wrote Tiger, Tiger Lily and, of course, kids are much younger. And, man, the dog would be barking, the kids would be screaming. Um, I, you know, I have boys. 
all boys. They had all boy friends. A lot of days it was like an Apache rape. You know, there was a lot of yelling, a lot of blood. And, uh, you know, I'd type, type and triage, type and triage, you know. It does, that <clears> doesn't <throat> even phase you. You're just hammering away at the keyboard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and again, I think also if you write, then you're probably the same. Like, uh, you know, um, I thought before I actually hit the keyboard, I tend to have a pretty good idea of where I'm going. Maybe not on a word-by-word basis. I've always said I've never started a story until I know how it ends. Hmm. Like, um, and although I don't write the ending first, I tend to write very linearly. You know, I'll write right. from beginning to end. I don't actually start typing until, you know, I've got this idea, I've got a basic structure, characters, some phrasing, and I know how it ends. If I know how it ends, then I can sit down and type it out, and then I can get that 300 to 1,000 to, you know, 21,000 in a week. You know, everything, yeah. in essence, um, once you have the ending and the start, and those are the two most difficult parts for most people, including me. Once I have that much, then I can fill it in and write it. So how much, you know, do, you, how much do you develop your characters before you start going with the story? Because something I'm finding, I've been... I've been writing like shorter stuff just to like for the sake of writing, but there's been this bigger work that I've uh, I've never really attempted to do, but I've been working on for like the last three years. And by three years, I mean, I've been doing it in binges and taking a lot of time off and not doing it. And I feel like I have an idea, uh, like I, a pretty good idea of how I'm going to end it, you know, and specifically the very ending I think I've got, but I'm having trouble getting there because when I sit down and start like moving to another character, I'm like, man, I don't even have this person fleshed out yet. So do you like, do you develop your characters first before you put, and then kind of let them tell the story for you? Or do you have the story and then you start developing the characters as you're writing it? I tend to, I think that I have the story and then start developing the characters okay. as I write it. I've sometimes told some people, like in roundtables, that, um, you know, people I've trapped, so they have to listen to me talk about writing. Um, hey, I'm, <laughs> but, uh, I'm, I'm looking, looking forward to it. I love it, yeah. Yeah, like some, some characters, um, you know, some people will say that they write and they follow their characters, and it's always a surprise in what happens. I tend to, the characters to me tend to be uh, characters of circumstance. They're people mm. in, a, in a certain position. And, and if I know that position, um, you know, I, I, I know how they think and, um, and how they'll react and what they say. So the circumstance um, is going to kind of dictate their behavior then, as opposed to you kind of knowing how they would behave in different circumstances, like you're starting with the circumstance yes. first. Okay. That's interesting. I like yep. that. There's uh somewhere out there you find on the internet there's um the you know the Russian writer and playwright Anton Chekhov and he'd written a, a letter of writing advice to his nephew who had the same name and one thing that you know you're gonna get tons of writing advice and and most of it just won't apply to you and uh, right. but in this particular case I thought it applied to me and he'd said above all uh, shun descriptions of a of a character's psychological state he said rather have that emerge from their actions and from their dialogue. You know, so I try not to have a ton of interior monologue, like where the reader's going to read what the character's thinking. Um, just show I, that I like instead. Just, yeah, show that instead. And I would say that probably, that trying to avoid interior monologue, some people do it very well. You know, for example, um, Charles Bukowski. I know a lot of people mm -hmm. like Bukowski. And um, I got another story about Bukowski here in a minute. But Bukowski, when you read women or some of his novels in that time, they were almost entirely interior monologue. It right. was him having this hilarious, con hilarious, Hank Chanasky has a hilarious conversation with himself. And, and he could do it, but a lot of people can't. And I always think that, you know, 
when, when you start to think that you're reading a polemic or when uh, the character is trying to tell the reader what to think, that's when interior monologue doesn't work. And that, working, that's yeah. a, a tool for fiction. I would actually think, for example, the poetry I've written probably comes across entirely as interior monologue, uh-huh. and I can't explain his why. You know, yeah. that's just how it comes out <laughs> when I do it. You know, and I actually tell people I don't write poetry. I would say it's, um, I use the phrase demi-fiction or semi-fiction because anything I've written has kind of a narrative structure to it. It's just brief and it's done line by yeah, line. And that's but, actually how, and you heard me talk about that with uh, Michael LaFontaine, the Australian. Yes. When, but that's how I, when I came across Secret History books, yours was the first one that popped up. And that's when I was just like, oh man, and just sucked into it. And I'm not mm-hmm. um, typically a fan of poetry and it's not because I don't like like it. It's just I've, I've just always thought if it's, I don't know if there's a better way to say this, but if something's too poetic, I'm just kind of like shy away from it. You know, if it's just like, if it comes across that way. But what I liked about yours was it was, it had this certain kind of attitude behind it that just really like resonated with me. And it didn't sound like a typical poem that I would read. It was just kind of this like straightforward, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know really how to describe it any better than that. But it just, that's what blew my hair back about it. Great. No, thanks for saying that. Uh, I, again, there's so much poetry out there. I always tell people you can you can find whatever you want in poetry. You just look hard enough. I try and not be too florid. You right. know, I think if, if there's... And by the way, you know, I've done a tour of duty as an editor. Um, myself and two other writers up here, um, we formed uh, an online magazine called the Black Dog Review. Oh, yeah, yeah. And we're on, hi- we're on hiatus now because my, my two support, my supporting cast members, they moved, they got sick. It was... It really gave me a window opening. I don't know how guys like Mike uh, can do it and keep these online signs going. God mm-hmm. bless Mike for that. Yeah. But um, again, we saw a lot of poetry, and, and if I didn't like it as an editor, what was coming into me, I you know I looked first for some kind of narrative, some kind of development, and um, you know towards an end, and also that it not be too heavily adjectivized or adverbized. Mm-hmm. You know that that old advice about when they talk about writing prose is to not to use too many adjectives or adverbs. I feel the same way about poetry. If you're looking for some kind of magical, never done before description of something, um, you know you tend to lose it in that magical description. Better mm-hmm. to just be direct. Oh, yeah. Just try and put it as simply and straightforwardly as you can. But yeah, I agree with uh, that, and I do. Like that's when I write. Too, I try. I don't spend very much time with character descriptions or anything. And I, maybe I'll like, if there's something in my head that I think that it's like important for someone to know because I think it's a cool visual, then I'll do it. But it's usually because I know as a reader, I kind of like making it up in my head as I'm reading, and so I kind of like to do that the same way. Yep. Writing is just to kind of not let you know, not spend a bunch of time like saying what the the character looks like. Mm-hmm. You know, again, I would say with writing, um, because you cha- you know anybody's chances of becoming famous, making a ton of money out of this are pretty thin. Uh, first and foremost, and uh, not that many people ask me for writing advice, but I'd say first and foremost, write what you want to read, mm-hmm. um, because you might be the only one doing it. Yeah. And if you can stay <laughs> true to that, you know, you know, hopefully somebody else likes it. Um, but don't write looking at, over your shoulder either at like, you know, writing tips, writing guidelines. Don't look over your shoulder at Twitter. That's a really bad place to look over your shoulder. Um, you know, it, it mm-hmm. alters what you're trying to do. So, you know, um, it, it, everything, you know, when I write, I used to tell people, I actually believe this to be true. If I can't find a thread or something, I seem to be struggling. I would tell people early on that said I, what I write um, is I write rock and roll and comic books. 
because mm. uh, those are two things that I like. And if somebody read something in my writing and they said that it reminded them of writing um, rock and roll or comic books, that would make me happy. So when I struggle a bit, I kind of lose the thread. Like, what am I actually doing here? I just tell myself rock and roll and comic books and try and get back to it. You know, and and it's, um, y- you know, especially with um, the internet and the, it's actually easy. A lot of people say, you know, there's more crap than ever in the internet, but it's actually easy to find pretty good stuff. You know, you read some of these online signs and you read some of the writers that Mike LaFontaine's put out there. Oh yeah. You know, uh, uh, Jenna Deuteravia, I'm not sure if I pronounced that right, a lady from Toronto, uh, Sheldon Compton, uh, who's um, out of the, I believe he's out of like South Carolina, Kentucky, Southeastern U.S., mm-hmm. uh, uh, Simone Savannah read her poetry there for the first time. Um, like, you know, there's some really good stuff out there. And when you're submitting and reading a lot, you can sometimes kind of, not intentionally, but get derailed a little bit trying to, you know, write to market or write to a perception of, of what else is doing well and really good and stuff that you admire. And it can screw your own stuff up. So what I do is just gear back and say rock and roll and comic books, you know. Mm-hmm. This, this, um, this should approximate, you know, the, the cover on a, mid seventies kiss album or something like that. And if, <laughs> like if that's that. what it's like, that's, that's what, that's what I was trying to do, you know? And, uh, you know, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. Well, I so. think I use those exact words to describe your poem to Michael. What is says Because his whole site, I think, has that kind of rock and roll vibe to it. This like more mm-hmm. like this kind of raw and grittiness to it. But that's what yep. that was the, the first words that popped in my head when I was reading that the shotgun in your mouth poem. I was just like, there's just yep. this rock and roll vibe to it that I really, really liked. And yeah, like a 70s, like Led Zeppelin-y kind of feel to it. Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, my son, ha- he's he's a, in a band, my oldest son, mm-hmm. an indie band up here. And they actually have done reasonably well. They're called Biloxi Parish. And we were talking one day about, you know, I should write some lyrics for him. So that's what I came up with, was alone on the couch with a gun in my mouth. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they, they said no. Uh, <laughs> you know, so yeah, here you go, right son. Yeah. And, and I get it right first at home, you know. And uh, he, he just, he, he actually liked the poem. He and his... Uh, his bandmates, but they just could not think of any way with what they play to put that to music, you know? Well, and just, and it was like, and just uh, something as simple as saying Susie, you know, short for suicide, like that blew my mind. And that's just something I would never put together, you know, Susie as a nickname for suicide, if you will. And I was just, was like, holy shit, man. Yeah. I I don't know how that came to me. I see, I've just, I've got that open now and I'm looking at the comments and I see yours there and some guy, uh, some guy said there, you know, I'm ready for more, but put away the gun. I, and people will be disappointed to find this out, but I actually don't own any. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't have guns. You know, like it, um, no, you know, I, my, my dad's got some. I guess if he passes away, I might stand to inherit some, but hopefully that won't happen too soon. Well, yeah, so, and maybe to elaborate a little further as opposed to just, just saying rock and roll and comic books, but like, what kind of uh, what what kind of feeds you into your writing? Like, because I remember I asked Michael this, and I was like, "Oh yeah, it's obvious that your writing's real personal to you." And he was like, "No, not really." <laughs> you know, and then was yeah. and so like, what about with you? I mean, uh, just going off that, saying that you don't own any guns or whatever. Like, where do these kind of ideas? Like, where's the seed of these kind of ideas? These gritty ideas coming from? Um, where they come from all over. Like I'm. Uh, like, like I think like most writers, I read a lot. I actually tend to read a ton of nonfiction. Like I'll read articles uh. and um, 
you know, stuff like that. I do read, you know, I'll read, uh, I'm not a picky reader, by the way. I'll read whatever somebody puts in front of me. Um, some things stick and some things don't. I, I had read an article at one time uh, about how they were talking about anxiety in men, anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. And um, and they talked about, you know, men are more likely to commit suicide than women are. They're more likely to use a gun, uh, those kinds of things. But in the article, it said something about, you know, depression in men often uh, comes across as anger. Mm. And uh, if you read that poem, Alone on the Couch with a Gun in My Mouth, that's a very angry poem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and and I don't know, it just seemed to click. And I guess that's where art is. You know, it's sometimes hard to explain, but it clicked. I was able to, you know, uh, write that down fairly quickly. No, I get uh, that. Yeah, that's that's what I was wondering, if it was just something that, not necessarily like based off of somebody, you know what I mean? But just like kind of snatching these like yeah. real real life kind of things but then just that's then you go off on a story you know and just make it your own yeah you know you have an idea sometimes and um that that kernel of the story that germ uh seed is there and but then it's up to you to kind of get it into flower and that and that's you and your your craft for lack mm-hmm. of a better word you know you put you putting just you at the typewriter all by yourself putting the words in a specific order you know, and that's, I guess, the magic in writing, and that's where you try the hardest and probably fail the most. And, uh, you know, you get up the next day, put yourself in front of the typewriter and, and do it do it again. Yeah, so how much, how do you know when you're on to something? Uh, like, do you, once you start writing something, you say you write maybe like 300 to 1,000 words in a session, uh, do you, when do you know that you should maybe let that go, or do you really try as hard as you can to make something out of that because you've started it? And... <laughs> Um, I, I try and make something out of it. I, I use, I wait, you know, if, once I consider something done, I finished it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, I'll wait about two weeks and then go reread it again. And, um, that t- sometimes it's a little bit longer and I've, I actually have submitted stuff, you know, red hot right off the press. And, um, but anyways, let's say roughly two weeks, I read it again. It's still good. Um, then it's still good. Uh, the other thing that will happen is man, like he, you, nothing you write, I would say this to other writers, nothing is wasted. Mm-hmm. Um, it may not make it to publication or to, you may not be satisfied with its current form, but you've probably got some good words in there. And um, somewhere down the road, you know, when you're working on that novel in progress or that novella or something else, you, you can find a use for that paragraph that mm-hmm. uh, stands at that chapter. Um, I don't mind telling you, in my case, like, uh, I've written out a lot of stuff as poetry, you know, like Alone on the Couch with the Gun in My Mouth, and I'll write it out line by line. And when I go back to it after that two weeks, I wind up expanding on it. And, um, you know, I've wound up placing it um, as flash fiction. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I take that poetic element out of it, the line by line stuff, and I put it into paragraphs. Yeah. And I've, I've, you know, that so I would say that nothing I wrote was wasted. Sometimes you look at it the way it is and you think, ah, it's just not quite right or something. But so, sometimes it just needs a little more or needs to be in a different place. And um, so I don't consider, uh, um, you know, I'm not one of those guys who would probably get mad and burn his manuscripts. Because <laughs> even, for example, this this novella I wrote, like 21,000 words, well, I, you know, I haven't submitted, I haven't done anything on it yet. I would need to do a set of edits. And, uh, but, you know, there's probably passages in there. It's actually seven kind of mini chapters. Um, something 
it, you know, it may make it as a whole thing. It may make it into something longer and it may be, you know, it's like that old El Camino in the back of your, your uncle's yard. It may just be parted out, but those parts are still useful in something else. Yeah. Know? So that's the name. So, it's funny you said that, uh, the name of the novel I've been working on is called El Camino Rides the Light Rail. And it's based on a character I do, uh, at these mm-hmm. storytelling readings. And so I've got that character, down because it's you know based off something mm-hmm. that I've like performed, um, but yeah, that's the only reason I brought that up. So that's I, I started to kind of trip out because I was like, "Whoa, did I say this earlier?" But then you're mm-hmm. <laughs> you're talking about it. Nope. Kai. Uh, I can tell you right, right now, Bradley, if you have El Camino in the title or in the story or something, it's gonna work. Uh, <laughs> you ever see that? You know, well, you, hey, you that's, almost, that's it, we're good. That's all we have time for. I'm gonna go start writing. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's going to work. That's one of those magic words you can use. El Camino makes anything that it's in automatically good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you ever see that uh, show? I think it was called The Mexican with Brad Pitt and yes. Julie Roberts. Yeah, I it? did. Yeah. When it, when it, when and James Gandolfini, I think, is in that too. I think you're right, yeah. And then when they go to that place in Mexico to rent the car, and he, of course, he picks the El Camino. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just know? a beautiful I think it's word. all in how you say it. Yeah. Yeah, El Camino. <laughs> so, yeah, don't worry. You're, you're more than halfway there. You there know, I'm actually go. jealous. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's, um, but yeah, it is such a it's such a process. But this has been, so, I mean, so far just good advice. Where I think I just kind of just need to keep, like, I don't know, going with it. And I think another thing is too is I don't know if I want to do third person or first person. Like the first chapter I have, and it's kind of more like a prologue, is in third person, and it works really well. But it was based off something that I did in another work, and so this was like a very a fully developed character, but I was like, oh, I'll just plug this in at the beginning here, kind of like what you were just talking about. Like, you know, it's it wasn't wasted. And so I've got that, but then when I'm getting to tell the story, I'm like, okay, now i got to get to where I think mm-hmm. I want to go. And I'm coming to this another character, and I'm just not sure. I, I feel like I'm, like, sitting in front of a bunch of these roads, and I'm not sure which one to take, you know. And it's, so that's yeah. why I was asking you about the character. Because, like, for instance, when it starts, it's this other character that I haven't even like thought about too much and then so when i went to sit down and write i'm just like oh man i don't even know i I feel like i'm getting caught up worrying about what this person who this person is as opposed to just maybe starting to try to write and then let it develop on its own Mm -hmm. sometimes you know sometimes it happens it flows very naturally like that other times um you know i'm trying to think of any tricks i know i know it doesn't i've always thought it pertained to writing uh Two, two, again, strange pieces of advice. I used to have an old, it was a VHS copy of the movie Casablanca. Mm-hmm. And the two guys that wrote it, these two old guys, they'd interviewed them. And actually, at the, that day, of course, this is when writers had salaries, but it was also a sweatshop, you know. So they faced mm-hmm. each other at their desks and they typed. And they said, uh, anytime they got to a standstill, they would look at each other and say, what happens next? And they would just uh-huh. pitch ideas at each other until somebody until they both agreed. And um, another example that I used to call the Ogilvy and Mathers drill because uh, Ogilvy and Mathers was a very large ad agency. I think they still exist in some form. And the Ogilvy in it, he, um, you know, this is of the Mad Men kind of era. But Ogilvy okay. had said he, he felt he he said I don't possess any special skill in regards to writing ad copy. He said, but where my genius is is that i can recognize it so he would go to his copywriters and he would you know if they're going to represent a product uh, he would ask for 20 like one word slow one sentence slogans like and he said from the ridiculous 
from the sublime. He said, write me something serious. If you're just bored and you want to try and make me laugh, he said, we may not use it, but I want 20 lines from each. And then he said at home, he'd go home and supper, put the kids to bed. And he'd sit there reading these uh, 20 lines of uh, ad copy that his copywriters would give him. And he would always find w- at least one that would work. Right. So w- when you're writing for yourself, I think sometimes you sit there, you can write the next sentence. And I mean, it can again very make yourself laugh if you want to, yeah. you know, put something kind of a variation of the old man from Nantucket in there, <laughs> make yourself laugh, and then kind of free yourself up to go on. No, and but, I think uh, there is, I think there is something to that too, and I think I've gotten way better at that over the years as far as just kind of forcing yourself to write and knowing that maybe some, at least something's going to come out of it, because I think there is a big fear, especially if it's unknown. Where you're like, or if it's just going to be shitty, which a lot of times the first stuff that I write is not the greatest thing I've ever read, you know, <laughs> very seldom. Mm-hmm. Oh, is yeah, it? for sure. So, but I think it's yeah. trying to talk yourself in and trying to force yourself to be like, hey, even if I don't know where I'm going, just write, you know, and it sounds easy, but it's like, just, just write, even if it's gibberish, even if it has nothing to do with what you're thinking about the, at the time. Because then usually a flow starts going, you know, because you're just doing the the physical act of writing and then maybe some shit that will start coming out that's coherent. Yeah, oh, absolutely. There is in, in Calgary, Alberta. Um, I had actually, believe it or not, I I don't have a English degree or anything like that. My background is actually in insurance and risk management. Hmm. But I did take a um, a creative writing course, <laughs> one of those adult education things, you know, right. where you you, you go to a community college in the middle of the night with a bunch of, of people who, you know, they've all got the dream. And uh, the instructor there, an excellent writer from Canada named Laurie Hannell. Uh, she taught a specific form, uh, and I forget where she got it. I feel bad I can't attribute this, but they called it free fall writing. And they would say, you know, free fall, get everything down in a session that you can. Don't don't worry about editing. Don't even worry about spelling. Just type down those visions, those ideas. Mm-hmm. You know, get as much down as you can. And I think that really works for some people. Because again, you can always go back and edit it, yeah. whether it's two weeks later or the next day. I know that's something I try to do too because I I catch myself editing on the fly way too much and like yeah. and it just gets in the way of any kind of flow. I do I've gotten to the point now where I turn off the spell check and the grammar check because those red and blue lines will just fuck with me the entire time if right. I'm doing yeah, that. You exactly. Know? They're there to you know torment the. Uh, if you even have the slightest bit of OCD, you can deal with it. And if yeah, I have a little CD, bit of that. Yeah. Do you have CDO? That's like OCD, but the letters are in the right order. Uh, if you have CDO, you could never survive that. You know, it's, uh, um. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. So, um, so what, what are you working on right now? Or what's the, I guess, so what was the process of the novella? Like how long did that, you said that would took you a week to do, but that was kind of rare. Yeah. It was, it's, how should I put it? This is a good example of how I actually write versus how I try and sound talking to you when I want to sound like a professional. What happened <laughs> is I had some time off and I told I started a novel. And, you know, again, I, I, I'm, I'm happy with the start of my novel. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and if you're going to be commercially successful as a writer, you're going to have to confront that idea of writing a novel or not. Mm-hmm. And uh, because a novel is kind of standard format. So I promised my girlfriend, I said, Alex, I'm taking these five days off. And I'm going to write as much of the novel as I can. And um, I didn't actually do anything that I wrote. Um, we'll call it erotic horror. Okay. And uh, so she proved my subject. She said I was way too hard on the dwarf. And why didn't you write your novel? Um, so, But I did get up every day and write. I had an idea. I'd actually started this as a short story, boy, a long time ago. 
and that goes back to me saying um, nothing you ever ever write is wasted. Right. It eventually finds a place. But it was, it was organically just everything followed, and I was able to complete it. And it's or and again the thought process behind it's organized, where my my novel probably isn't. <laughs> gotcha. So what's you know? the what's that thought process look like? Like walk me through that before you even start writing, because you said you have a really good idea before you start writing. So are you like is it almost yeah. writing it out in your head? Like are you starting and saying are you asking yourself like where do I want to start with this? Like once you have yep. the idea, and then where do I want it to go? And just kind of asking all these questions and then answering them. And are you like outlining yeah. or are you writing these down as notes or is it like literally all in your head? Nope. It's literally all in my head and I, I tend to write from start to finish. And again, in my head, I already know how it finishes. The novella taught me, if it taught me anything, it was that um, to use an outline because it was a much bigger work. And I actually did go, uh, they're not big enough to be called chapters. I guess you call them chapters. Mm-hmm. But there's actually, I said seven, but there's eight actually different scene settings, uh, components to that. And I actually titled those. I already had the first one written and then I titled them, you know, to provide structure, to remember, this is where we're going. I already know how it ends. And, uh, and then the steps that it took to get to the end, those are the chapters, uh, chapter titles. And I, um, you know, boogie down through it, you know, again, some of my writing habits would probably be very particular to a short story guy and, uh, making, making that transition to novel. Um, it was never my ambition to make a ton of money out of writing, although I would like to eventually make some money. You know, some people start and it's the novel right away and they're bestseller and, you know, an agent, they're going to have a ton of money. I was always more motivated by, you know, short stories. And uh, so for me, I'm probably transitioning into novel writing. And it does take a little bit of a different mindset, skill set, and uh, organizational style. Yeah, that's what I'm wondering uh, with this too, because I feel like short stories are like more kind of in my wheelhouse. And I just don't know how much of that is just impatience, you know, because like even if I have, like in this case where I want, like at the ending, I've found myself in like outlining it and kind of like writing these more fleshed out outlines that it's just Mm -hmm. going kind of straight to the point. And, you know, when you read novels and stuff, it'll take these like big roundabout ways sometimes or go into like certain backstories of other things. And I think that's kind of intimidating too. And I don't know how much of that's just me being scared of it or me being impatient and just going like, I just want to get to the end, you know, just A, B, C, D and just go there. So I don't know. Like, did you, is, is that why you found like maybe outlining and having to be more organized before you actually start writing is key to doing something bigger? Yeah, I, I think that's true. For me, there may be somebody that can just wing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it's it's going to take a little bit more of structured approach to work. You know, instead of, you know, sitting uh, down at the computer when I've got some spare time, crank up a band I like on the speakers and just flow. Uh, it does take preparation. I know um, some writers, uh, supposedly James Elroy. Do you know who James Elroy is? The guy that wrote the Black Dahlia and all those kind oh, of okay. yeah, L- yeah, L.A. Yeah. Confidential. Yeah, he is, apparently uses very a lot. Like his his uh, outlines will run to eighty to one hundred pages. Like very right. very um, very detailed outlines. So that's that's probably more than I could do. I you know I kind of wish I had OCD, but um, or CDO or whatever. Know, <laughs> Yeah, CDO. I've, I've got ADD. That's why I can't write a novel. See, but, that's the uh, thing. That's where that's where I am too. I don't. I just don't know if it's just like I just can't 
that focus, you know, that I don't know if I have that in me. And I, cause to back to short stories, I think they lend themselves better to just kind of winging it and flowing. Cause a lot yeah. of the times, at least what I'm writing, it's more of a slice, uh, like a slice, you know, like a minute mm-hmm. a slice of life, as opposed to building this huge world. Like maybe I have that world in my head, but it's like, mm-hmm. maybe it's a cop out, but it just seems easier where I'm like, okay, I'm just going to make this start with a scene and then maybe make it a little bit bigger, but it's just a sliver and to me, that lends itself way easier to just like flowing and letting it go and then, you know, editing and shaping it afterwards. Yeah. Um, you know, and some of it goes back to, you know, like, what's your passion? Like, what do you want to write? What was the first thing, you know, when you first sat down and wrote that first short story? I've heard it. I don't know if it's necessarily true, but I, I've heard it said that, you know, writers write to impress themselves and one other writer, the right, typically the writer who made you want to write, hmm. you know? So what was, what was it when you, what yeah. was it, you know, what did you enjoy? What did you enjoy reading? Like, who's your, who were your favorite writers? You uh, know? Yeah, no, right. Right, yeah, and that's where, and I found myself doing that because, like, uh, Hunter S. Thompson's my favorite. Like, I have a couple tattoos mm-hmm. of him yeah. on me, and uh, that was when I thought I was going to do the whole, like, narrative journalism kind of thing, but I really liked right. that, and I think it's still kind of, if I'm, even if I'm writing fiction, I still think there's that in there as far as, like, that first person kind of going on this adventure kind of thing, and so I don't know. Maybe yeah. Maybe kind of sticking to something like that would be a good thing to do. Because that's the other thing with this, the bigger work I'm doing. I don't know if it's anything I'm really that passionate about. I think it's a kind of a cool idea for a story, as far as what I have in my head. Um, but that's mm-hmm. the other thing too is that I feel like I'm dealing too much with. I'm worried too much about this bigger theme or social commentary in it, as opposed to uh, mm-hmm. like I think with short stories, I'm better than just. I'm better at focusing on. Uh, the characters more and then maybe themes just mm-hmm. naturally coming out of those, you know, the, the short story just by format, if it forces a certain economy upon you, mm. you know, like you, and it not only forces it, but it supports it. You know, you can be succinct and, and fairly direct. And, um, you know, most short stories do not have complicated plot arcs with multiple characters and, uh, you know, stuff like that. So, you know, it's, um, I think that might be why I enjoy the format. And again, I look back to my former, my formative reading years, the kinds of things that I read. Um, I, I just have always enjoyed short stories. I mean, I've yeah, me too. read many fine novels, but right. you know, um, that's but, good. I'm learning a lot in this conversation. I like it. So, well, you know, and let me, while I'm sitting there, say thank you to Jerry Brennan at Tortoise Books, who put out my first collection. And, of course, Mike LaFontaine, I've got a, a book coming out very shortly with him called Cemetery Blackbirds, which is, um, you know, much shorter stuff. If you like The Loan on the Couch with a Gun in My Mouth, which isn't in the book uh, that I'm doing with Mike, but if you like that style, you're going to love Cemetery Blackbirds. But it's those guys, um, you know, these independent publishers, guys like Mike, guys like Jerry, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of others out there that, uh, you know, are willing to provide a platform for people like me and um, and yourself and a, and a bunch of other writers that um, would otherwise have a hard time finding a platform. You right. know, we have all that day jobs, we've got kids, or we just don't know how to do it or don't have the personality for it. So, you know, long live indie publishing because there's yeah, somewhere yeah, yeah. for us to go, you know. So I, I appreciate that. You know, yeah, I totally. listened, of course, to your, listened to your interview with Mike, who's a great guy. He's been and nothing but supportive. Um, a long time ago, you know, I, he 
published a few pieces of mine on vending machine press and then they were open for submissions and I, they accepted some more stuff and I thanked him and he said, you know, no problem, Steve. He says, everything you do is good. And uh, that gave me a lot of confidence. You know, mm. everybody needs that kind of positive feedback. And um, so thank Mike for that and Jerry at, at Tortoise and a whole bunch of other people that um, hopefully I'll get books out with. You know? <laughs> yeah, no, that, no, that's but. well said because especially with writing, it's such a solitary thing, and you get so lost in it. So, I mean, yeah, I think a lot of times mm-hmm. that's all you need to hear is just like some like good feedback. You know, just saying like, oh yeah, well, besides other than and, your and mom, you know, you know right? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, in, in true, and also you go these times, you look around and there'll be people, you know, people you took a class with or, and you know, they're having a lot of success at a time you aren't. And you sort of feel like, you know, nobody gets me, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. nobody wants to read it. And then you start, that little voice says, that's because it's not any good. And uh, mm-hmm. then you have somebody like Mike or Jerry comes along and said, no, these are great, you know, and they'll, they'll, they'll put them out there, you know, so God bless those guys. Yeah. Cause then it does get you over that hump and you can just get right back to just, just writing, you know, and being like, okay, yeah. I'll just keep doing yep. what I do. And that is good enough. Yeah. Worrying about uh, what happens to it after you. And it's hard enough, as you know, it's hard to get from, you know, the title to the end. Mm -hmm. And once that's done and then, and we all do it, you know, uh, an excessive amount of worrying about placing it. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody's got rejection stories and we read them about famous writers getting rejected a hundred times before it was accepted or stuff like that. But um, your right brain will can rationalize that stuff and say it's part of the process. Your left brain will say, man, this sucks. Mm, <laughs> you know, yeah. you feel like you, you're trying to walk upstairs and somebody's pushing you back down the stairs every day, you know? Yeah, I know. It's a, oh. it's a vulnerable thing. So I think it's what maybe we're masochists doing the, <laughs> the writing shit, but I do oh, enjoy yeah. it. I do enjoy it. And I like what you said earlier too, is about like, I just like to write and I think my, I mean, yeah, it'd be nice to, and it's always a dream to have it, you know, other people read it and get known. But I mean, the, at the end of the day, I just want to write something, uh, kick ass that I like and is a cool story and I think that can be just as frustrating enough because so often what's in your head I I don't get close enough to it a lot of the times on the page where I'm like that's not what I'm trying to say or that's not what I'm seeing you know so I think even if I just did that that would be like a huge accomplishment and I would be I'd be smiling at the end of the day if I did that you bet this is a very difficult part um I don't know if there's such a thing as a perfect story or a perfect draft. Right. Um, you know, my own stuff, I mean, I've had stuff published through the years. So I go back and reread it. I don't give into it, but I occasionally think, man, I should have done this mm-hmm. a little different. Mm-hmm. Or, um, but, you know, maybe you do, in some cases you do get that chance. Um, like I said, the book I've got coming out with Mike will be as all that all the material that's been previously published, some some by Mike and some by other you know magazines and journals, and some of it I did um, you know edit specifically for this publication because I thought what I thought was a better way to do it. So version two, the director's cut, we'll call it the director's cut. <laughs> I like yeah, it. You know, so you do you know you do get a chance you know mm-hmm. um, sometimes to uh, make something that was good, better, and hopefully better anyways. Hopefully you don't ruin it. But, yeah, because I've definitely you know, done the other before too where I've like, you know, let go of something and then came back to it. And it was, you know, I was pretty happy with it. And then start tweaking it and what I think is just little tweaks and all of a sudden I'm lost down this this rabbit hole of just shit. <laughs> and I'm like, oh man, I ruined it, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, again, this is a business where we sweat 
a comma for a half an hour. Oh, yeah. You know, so major edits. When you talked earlier about third or first person, by the time you have written something out, you know, in a third person, then you try a first person version. And, um, you know, you get a lot of time sunk into that. I think for myself, not completing a novel so far, that fear factor that, you know, that I would put two to three years of writing time into something I that... Know statistically is likely not to be successful, not in a commercial sense anyways. Um, you know, learning to write without that kind of sphere, yeah, you know, that kind of Protestant tough. work ethic criticism, you know, that, that's probably harder for me. It's probably kept me back, mm-hmm. you know, so I should, I should, I should be less afraid, but <laughs> uh, yeah, easier know? said than done for if, sure. You know? Do you prefer, but, what do you prefer uh, writing third or first person? You know, I've sometimes said, and not trying to be the smart ass, the story will tell me. I've written both, both in first and, and third person. Um, how do you, how do you know, so, how do you, like, what are some signs you're looking for then if you're, when you say the story's going to tell you? Oh, man. Um, you know, I, I, I don't have a, a clear key or trigger or, or know where the phrase rock and roll and comic books mm-hmm. um applies some stories writing in the first person you know i think i uh, depending on the type of story but have, we'll have more of a sense of immediacy to it mm-hmm. that you're you know going through it at the time it happens where i think for me writing in the third person is a little bit more reflective and more um in in a strange way this i wouldn't say it was a more disciplined form of writing but the story itself tends to be more disciplined a little bit less wild you know i've done mm-hmm. both and um again um I've, I'll tell you what, I, I, I can't say why I do it, but I have not ever changed uh, Ooh, okay. first person in anything. Once I've started to write it, I, I haven't gone back and rewritten it and changed the form. I've thought about it a couple of times, probably written out a few sentences, and then, no, nah, this just isn't working. My right. first it, my first instinct was right. So it's just kind but of again, a thing you know, right? It is, you know, and... Um, now, of course, now I feel like I should look at some stuff I got in the go and see whether <laughs> not, it's Yeah, sorry, better. I'm not trying to. We're such self-conscious sure. people, aren't we? <laughs> well, you know, but that, that's writing. That's that constant yep. going over and yep. going over. And is it right? Is it right? Is it right? And it's not even that it's ever right. Is it just, is it right enough? Right enough, yes. You know? Yeah. Right enough, so. Um, I know. I think that's another you know, big thing with this this thing I'm doing, too, is uh, or trying to do, anyway, is that I've typically always written in first person, whether it be, you know, nonfiction or fiction, um, and this mm-hmm. is the first time I've tried third person, and it's just because I've, I'm, you know, I'm trying to do my, like, uh, my like a movie ensemble where I think I have cool characters and I want to jump around and not necessarily jump around in different heads because I think that could be a little too much and certainly more ambitious than I think I'm willing to take on. But that was kind of what dictated the third person where I was like, I just don't want to be, there's not really this, a main, main character. I kind of want to have that freedom to jump around and that's what kind of dictated it. But I think if anything, it's just unfamiliar to me. So I think that's what I'm struggling with as well. Right. Yeah, no, I, I know where you're coming from, especially, you know, in a, in a longer work mm-hmm. uh, form, you know, with um, the guy who did multiple points of view very well is Michael Andache. And that's a guy who wrote, uh, for example, The English Patient. Okay. Uh, a lot of people are familiar with the movie, but not the book. And he quotes in there, there's a, not in this book, actually, but a different one. But he, he said, because it follows four main characters, right in the third person, but um, from, you know, following those four main characters mm-hmm. around uh, around book and um 
Well, you know, again, the other thing I guess I would say when you're writing a longer work, I know people who've done this. Um, I tend to write lin- very linear, uh, so I, I feel like I can't write, you know, I need that outline, I need to go through the chapters in the order that they'll be read. Mm-hmm. But probably a better way to do it would be, you know, if, uh, let's say if I've got, you know, uh, 15 chapters, and uh, rather than write them 1 through 15, um, the the key scenes which I'm already very confident, you know, the start, the end, and stuff like that, you should write those out. In essence, you quilt it together. It's more of a patchwork thing. And then yeah. your challenge becomes your challenge becomes con- um, connecting, but it may be easier to do it that way than it is to try and write all those things out in linear order. See, I would say in your first draft, for example, oh, just, yeah, sorry, just write whatever you want. We'll see. Go ahead. Those, those scenes, those characters, write out those scenes, those characters that are already really firm in your mind, right. and then patch it together, you know, later, do the connecting stuff, um, you know, as part of a second draft. Yeah, no, I I think that's really good advice. And that's actually what I've started leaning toward because where I'm talking about, I think I mentioned earlier, exactly where I'm getting hung up would be, I guess, chapter two, right? But I've got, I've went through like a quote unquote first draft where I was up to, I'm like about 31,000 words, but some of it, yeah, right. But it was like, because I started doing that and like was just because I there was things I had in my head that were very clear and so I would write that and I don't know where they're fitting but I think I might go back to that because I've kind of reshaped the story in my head but I'm in that Mm -hmm. same problem trying to get to it so I might just have to re uh do it how I did with the first draft and just be like okay well I know I know these characters are going to still be in this draft I know they're going to interact here and just write that out and if anything you're just getting something on paper and yeah the challenge becomes trying to fit it fit it together but i think i would like that challenge a lot more than just keep staring at this uh chapter two and being like how the fuck do i start this you know you know there's a tendency when you've come to kind of a roadblock is to stare at that roadblock Mm -hmm. and think how am i going to get over this where sometimes you probably okay we're just going to leave that for a while it's better to get around it than it is to get over it and then you can you know come at it from another direction yeah yeah Yeah, just i know that man that's well said yeah for sure so what's this? Is this a collection of short stories, the book you got coming out? Yes, actually really short. Again, I use that phrase demi-fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, they're organized in order from shortest to longest. The first story is a six-word story. Oh, nice. And um, so it's it's 33 pieces and rolled out. It's, it's I could say it's probably, I don't want to call it a chapbook because it's not purely poetry. It's a lot of flash fiction and, and very short fiction. Anyways, 33 pieces, 11,000 and some words, all of which were, again, previously published either by Mike and Vending Machine Press or, um, you know, some other uh, Spelk fiction uh, out of uh, the UK. I don't know if you've ever submitted to Spelk or no. whether they've been very supportive. Great. They're really well-known, very good uh, flash fiction site. Uh, maximum word count there is 500. Ooh, nice. um, they, they write um, three pieces a week. And and are published three pieces a week, and I've had a lot of uh, good fortune with that guy named Cal Martius, and uh, you know he he just has been really good to me and a number of other writers. I'd highly encourage anybody if you're writing shorter stuff uh, to check out Spelk. You know how uh, they treat people decently. Uh, and, it's called um, Spelk. So anyway, it's just called Spelk. You said. Yep. S S P E L K. Spelk Fiction. You can find them on Twitter and, and go to their site. There, they're just wonderful. And uh, and there's a lot of other ones out there too. I'm probably not giving due credit, you know. But mind you, in this interview, I'm going to pitch my guys, and that's uh, you oh, know yeah. Jerry, uh, Gal, uh, and Mike. 
you know, Mike with his wonderful Australian accent. I've had many an email from Mike. I've never spoken to him. So to hear him speak there. Oh, you yeah, know, it was fun. Um, yeah, so. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that whole, the secret, I'm actually reading, I'm almost done with it. I got like a, I think I got a hundred pages left of secret history. He turned me on to that book, obviously, because I didn't know what yeah. the, what, what the, what he was referencing with the name of his site. But have you read that before? Secret history? Yes, I have. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I li- yeah it is really good. I like it. It is good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's just getting to the part where I'm like, ooh, shit. Like, I mean, I guess a lot of stuff uh, has happened, but I'm, I'm still curious to be like, okay, how's the, how are they going to end this up? Because it seemed like the climax came early in it. So, but don't spoil it for me. But I was just like, okay, now how are they going to tie this yeah, up? I won't, I won't spoil it for you, but it is an excellent book. You know, it's funny because, um, Again, yeah, I guess you know, you know, I don't know Mike that well, but I look at the stuff he published then and find out that Secret History is his favorite book, you know, because when in correspondence and that we've talked a lot about, uh, you know, Kerouac, Bukowski, mm-hmm. and those kinds of guys, and and Mike was one of those guys that he came across. He did the North American the Kerouac tour. He traveled right. in Canada and the U.S. for a while, you know. So, I um, I haven't done I haven't I haven't done that. I, I've you know, been to Montana many times, of course, California, Arizona. Um, I've not been to many other places in the U.S. other than the, you know, the I-15. I've driven the frickin' I-15 a lot of times, <laughs> you know. So, anyways, I've been in Barstow, California, just close to midnight. Hey, hey uh, but I was going to say, there we go, Hunter S., yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and like I said, Palm Desert was hot. Um, that... Um, you know, I actually, Palm Desert, I did, I was encouraged to write, and I bet she regrets it now. Uh, there's a, a writer out there named Pamela Miller Wood. Pamela is most famous because she lived with Charles Bukowski for a time. Mm-hmm. And in his novel, his novel Women, um, she was loosely dis- described or paraphrased as the character Tammy. And uh, okay. to this day, uh, Pamela get uh, people, you know, asking for interviews or stuff like that, you know, uh, um, and very charming. Anyway, she had read some of my stuff. She actually bought me a burger at Grilla Burger in Palm <laughs> Desert, which no subsequently shit. Grilla Burgers. It's been on uh, Triple D Diners, Dives, and Drive Throughs. I will I will vote for Grilla Burgers. It was great. I've since been told it's been sold and not quite as good. I hope that's not true because I'd go back there anytime. If you're ever bored, Bradley, I'll come on down. We'll drive on out Let's to Palm it. Desert and go to Grilla Burger. Let's do but anyways, it. Anyways, Pam had lived with Bukowski, so I had a burger with Pam when she was had all these wonderful Bukowski stories. And of course she'd written a book called uh, Charles, a memoir called Charles Bukowski's Scarlet. And at the time I got a copy and read that and believe it or not, I had not read Bukowski up until that time. Mm-hmm. I knew who he was because I had seen the t-shirts, you know, the quotes and stuff like That's, that. That was my experience with him too. I'd heard all about him and seen the quotes and actually it, I came, came to him later in life for sure. Yeah. So anyway, so, um, uh, anyway, she encouraged, she'd read some of my stuff by then for another reason and had, uh, encouraged me to write. And I don't know whether she should blame me for that, for the fact that I continued, or I should blame her, you know, geez, Pam, I haven't made a lot of money doing this. Like, like, come on. Man. But anyways, there, yeah. there's somebody, there's a good phone call. Yeah. Have a, a chat with the, the famous Scarlet. Charles yeah, I was going to say, man, yeah, the wheels are turning now. So yeah, and real quick back to the um, just I guess because you have a couple of short story collections, right? Just the one, the, the, the shotgun and the shovel. Yeah. Um, shot, uh, oh no, that was a uh, that was just you had a piece in that, right? Yeah, I had a piece in the Molotov cocktail just recently. Shotgun, a shotgun and a shovel. Um, oh, this one's forty-five minutes. Okay, that's forty-five minutes of unstoppable rock. 
yeah. 45 minutes of Stomple Rock. Which, which is a uh, sweet name. Now, when you're, how do you, uh, like, dictate what's going to go into a short story collection? Um, I mean, I, I guess they don't have to all be connected, but is it just um, a matter of, like, I have this many pieces, I'm going to try to fit them all in, or do you try to curate them in a way, or... It was a little of both, you know, I was pretty new to it at that time. Um, you know, I'd had some success. I think I had 20 some pieces in it that had been published on the internet and magazines at the time. And, um, so I was looking for, uh, I thought time to do a collection and, and writers I knew that had more experience to me that, you know, um, had advised me in that had advised me of, you know, submit here, submit there or whatever. And uh, so I started looking into that. And actually, I had, you know, a strange amount of good luck, I think, in my writing. You know, that story Tiger Lily you mentioned, that was the first story I ever wrote. Really? And it was the first story Jesus. I ever edited, submitted, and it was picked up for publication. And, um, and, and, you know, subsequently let off my collection. The collection, uh, 45 Minutes of Unstoppable Rock, again, I, w- I had a lot fewer stories in publication to print from. And I did, I don't, I don't want to call it the greatest hits, um, but there's not a continuous theme holding it together other than, you know, whatever my, my writing's down the topics I pick. But it wasn't a particularly tight theme. And uh, just kind of a general... You know, a lot of those stories that are in that collection, I, st- I started writing in the late aughts. And the big thing at the time, of course, was the subprime meltdown. And mm-hmm. I, I knew people. I worked in insurance and risk management. And I knew people who, you know, they'd been making $300,000 a year as title insurance reps in California, for example. And they were, they were you know, 60000 a year um, by 2009. Like, it, you know, kind of that um, the decline... Loosely, the loose theme would be the decline of the middle class, uh, which has been a theme in, in North America. This goes beyond literature. Mm-hmm. You know, real wages, I think, have declined steadily since about 1991, sure. something like that. And uh, so, you know, when I tend to write, I tend to be more rural than urban, urban, more Midwestern uh, than coastal, and uh, these kind of forgotten people in forgotten places. Um, so thematically, that would be about as much as it ties it together mm-hmm. and um well i think know. that's what's going to resonate with a lot of people too right like and, and is that what is it so, and I, I remember i was kind of touching on this with michael because i had never even heard the term uh gritlet before but then yes. after yep. I, by going to his site i started you know finding this whole different like this whole world that i really wanted to be uh, a part of mm-hmm. just uh, just as far as consuming the content you know um yeah but is it, yeah, so is it that might, what grit lit would you say that's like a huge characteristic of it is just these the writing about the forgotten and like yeah, really kind of examining them you bet you know um it's uh um, that whole grit and grit lit is a thing and I, and I like it. And there's always been those kind of gritty writers. Sure. Um, but also there is, I, I don't want to call it a bias, but man, you read a lot of literature. And again, I know it's from an editor a point of view, running an online magazine of, of no great account, but man, a lot of stuff, it's, you know, it's people who are, I don't know, they're having affairs with their professors in a master's program or yeah, something yeah, like that. Totally. And then you'd have, and like Mike said about Larry Brown, now Larry Brown's writing about people who are, selling weed out the back porch just to make rent and they're mm-hmm. not doing very well at it. And, um, you know, uh, Harry Cruz, uh, I don't know if you read any Harry Cruz. I have not. 
Well, it's funny. I, I, I gave Harry Cruz a feast of snakes to my oldest for, uh, I forget if it was his birthday or Christmas a couple of years ago. And again, his band, they, that, that book's been all through the band. Of course, they'd never read anything like it. You know, it's rural Georgia. It's, mm. it's Baptist religion gone bad. It's, it's rattlesnakes that don't like being waved around in those baskets. It's, um, incest and murder, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. and, uh, very gritty. And yeah, there's certainly a place for it. I'm, I'm, I think I tend to write on the grittier side myself. I'd like to read on the grittier side. I'm, yeah. I'm, just, um, I'm partial to it. I like movies that are like that. I like just that as a, as an overall feeling. I think I'm partial to that as well. It's sometimes hard to relate to somebody who, you know, went to an Ivy league school, a character who went to an Ivy league school and a trust fund mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, takes one too many Xanax or uh, or, <laughs> or uh, ecstasy or something like that. They, they partied a little too hard. You don't feel quite as bad. I don't anyways, as opposed to somebody who's, no. you know, that single mom in Walmart with two kids in the shopping cart who just had her bank card declined Fuck. two times in a row. You know what I mean? Because well, you like, see uh, that. I mean, at least I do. And people, for, you know, like I see that shit all the time and, you know, experience I do that. Too. Right. Yeah. 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 And, and that's what I want to want to write about. I don't want to write about um, the temporary problems of the one percent. You know, <laughs> I mean, fuck them. <laughs> I'd like I'd like to have someday. I hope to have those same problems. But in the meantime, I'm going to write the real shit. Mm, this has been awesome. This has been like, you've been really really fun to talk to. I'm like I'm like all fired up right now. <laughs> Anytime, you know. So no, I I think the. Uh, the the debt is all mine, or the privilege is mine, as they would say. So yeah, I appreciate anyhow. you uh, coming on, and you know, shout out to to Michael too. And then who who's the other? Where's the where was? Where? Uh, well, you know, uh, people that encourage me, Lori Hanel, uh, Lori Hanel, I always pronounce it wrong. Lori mm-hmm. in Calgary, uh, Jerry Brennan at Tortoise Books in Chicago. Speaking of grit, lit Jerry is a wonderful publisher and an excellent writer himself. Okay, um, and you know, Chicago has a very vibrant, independent. Uh, lit scene and um, mm. I, you know there's a lot of good magazines publishers there um, you know again Pamela Miller Wood for buying me that burger and grill a burger when I think I had about four <laughs> stories published and and uh, you know awesome. asked her probably one too many one too many questions about Bukowski and uh, she said yes he did really drink that much and, uh, <laughs> and a few other things you know I, I, I could tell you some of that conversation but man I think we should save it you should uh, get a call going with Pam she can tell uh, okay. yourself yeah uh, you know so well, I'll tell you what I know her agent, so I'll send him an email and uh, we'll, we'll we'll see how this goes. Hey, that'd be awesome. Good looking out. So, all right. Okay. So, and when's your when's your um, book coming out with secret history books? Uh, uh, Cemetery Blackwoods will be out by the end of this month. I've actually I put it out on February first. Oh, and, so it's like uh, right around the corner. Yeah, right around the corner. It'll be up. I might have it up for pre-order ahead of that. Okay. Uh, it's just got some last-minute formatting issues, but we'll have it up, and, and away we go, you know? Awesome. And um, and then we'll see what happens then. So. All right. Hey, well, Steve, thanks so much. This has been a blast. I really appreciate taking the time to talk to me. The privilege has been mine. Take care, Bradley. All right. You too. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Transition. All right. Thanks again, Steve Passy. And I don't know about you, but don't I hear a little bit of like it's like a Canadian Hunter S. Thompson almost. Did you hear that? Or is that just me? Like especially when <laughs> near the beginning when he's talking about his boys when they were younger and he said it was like an Apache it's like an Apache raid, blood everywhere. <laughs> I don't know. I thought that was Hunter S. E. Thompson E. H S T E. But anyway, man, a lot of fun talking to you. Thanks for taking the time out to do so. Thank you all for listening. 
be on the lookout for Cemetery Blackbirds, February 15th. You can also find some of his work on Amazon. I uh, recommend uns- 45 Minutes of Unstoppable Rock, a collection of short stories of his. That's where Tiger Lily is at, which we talk about in the podcast. You heard it already. What am I doing? Traveling back in time and shit. Shout out to Michael LaFontaine, secrethistorybooks.com. It's been real, man. It's been super, super real. Bye.